Welcome to episode 68 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary! It's been so long! I know. I don't <laughs> like recording two episodes because I don't get to see your face. You I walked know. in and I was like, what have I you was been? so excited <laughs> to see you. Yes, girl. Well, I have so many things to say. Oh my God. Because it's been, start. I feel like it's been weeks and weeks. Yes, I know. So, first of all, I got my first vaccine shot. Now you are you already have. I your am. Shot. Yeah, I'm past the two week limit. So yes. yeah, it's a nice feeling. Well, I'm I'm anxious to get my next one, which I get in two weeks. Um, oh, and then it's two weeks like, after that. Yeah, but I hear there's like terrible side. There can be s- bad side effects. So yeah. Adam had some side effects. Yes, Alfredo. I, did. I had side effects. My husband just had his second. Yeah, and uh, today he's okay, but. First and second day wasn't feeling so great. Yeah, so I'm not looking. Forward I mean, to exhausted. That, but like he slept, I think 14 hours. Then this young lady that I work with was like, um, "You know, it only lasts three months." I'm like, "Excuse me," and I look up. It lasts like six months, and I'm like, "What's this bullshit?" Like, I gotta go back through this again in six months. But or do, I think they're gonna do boosters. All right. Well, anyway, I was a little. I was thought I was sold Dang a bag of goods with this. I know. Yeah. I was like, what? Um, like another thing I have to track is when, yeah. when was that shot that I got? I know. And I have to find, I have the card, but yeah, well, I know. Well, listen to this. So I was at uh, like the beach last night with my daughter. There's like this outdoor restaurant and we were having dinner and I opened up my wallet and I have my vaccine passport, like yeah. sitting in the wallet, not inside of a pocket or anything. And mine the, is the somewhere ticket, randomly in a bag. Yeah. But the parking <laughs> ticket like flew with the wind <gasps> and I was like, holy shit, that's my passport. Like, go, go. <laughs> like my daughter's like running down the, the fucking sidewalk, but it was the parking ticket. And I was like, well, shit, I, that's okay to flow away, but oh, not my, my passport. God. Yeah, no, I need that. Um, oh my God. anyway, so I'm excited. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. I know when I get the second one, I'm going to feel f- like some sort of freedom here. Like, I yeah. don't know. Oh, I, it, it's really nice to be with people who have it and I, just I feel very yeah. relaxed yes. and it's nice. Well, even at the dinner last night, you know, it's very touristy down there on the beach and we're waiting in line to get into this restaurant and I mean, just nobody's wearing masks no. and my, my daughter and I were, I mean, there are people wearing them, but um, she said to me, I, I don't understand. Why aren't people wearing masks? I said, because they're fucking idiots. Like we yes. live, we are surrounded by morons and, and fucking yes. idiots. That's just the world. We have to survive them and move on. Like, fuck off. That's I, true. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. <gasps> Get the, How are we still at this point? It's been a year. I know. Well, people are just stupid. Yeah. Um. By the way. A shout out Miami feature came out Ooh, last week where it features these two beautiful, beautiful <laughs> and sexy women from the Muck podcast. Oh my Tina God. is so fucking hot in these pictures. No. Girl, please. It's not, not true. Holy The shoes shit. look good. <laughs> the shoes? I hate you. I fucking hate you. Your face is so gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Beautiful. Um, it and was everybody, such a great little feature. It's 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 wonderful. So go to shoutoutmiami.com and you can see the feature on us. Like look up Muck Podcast or the Muck Podcast yes. on there, or you can find it on, on any of our social media. And um, we have to post the picture pictures because the pictures are so good. Yeah, we have to. Um, we have to do that. Like, please, can we celebrate how hot we are in those pictures? Yes, can we let's please do celebrate it. that? Let's do it. Um, also, thank you to Alfredo for taking the pictures. Oh, Alfredo. Us. Yes. Um, Alfredi, and 
I have been, okay, so let me just get into something real quick. First of all, I want you to know something okay. that I am totally in love with someone. Ooh. Yes. And I don't know how to tell you this. <gasps> My husband, he doesn't understand. I'm going to leave him for this <laughs> person. Tell me. Um, his name is Pigeon. <laughs> He's on a show called Mike Tyson Mysteries. Wait, what? Holy fuck. Okay. So a friend of mine sends me some clips and he's like, have you ever seen the show? Because I said, have you ever seen Aqua Teen Hunger Force? And he's like, oh. <laughs> which I love. Yeah. On Adult Swim. Yeah. That's, um, that's, a, is it still on? No, I don't no, think so. I, that's, but that's Master only, Shake yeah. forever. Okay. I love him. <laughs> so by the way, thank you, Alexis, for turning me on to that like 15 years ago. Yeah. Anyways, I was going to say it was so a while good. back. So he's like, no, but have you ever seen Mike Tyson Mysteries? And I was like, I have not even no. heard of this. So he sends me on YouTube the best of clips of this pigeon. The pigeon is, by the way, the real Mike Tyson voices his character. It's oh basically like my, um, it's like it's like um, uh, Scooby Doo, but it's got all. So it's Mike Tyson. He's got an Asian daughter, and uh, like a ghost is also on the team. Wait, is it a cartoon? Gay. It's a cartoon. Okay, and then the fourth <laughs> character is this pigeon. Who's voiced by Norm McDonald. Oh my God. And it, he is the filthiest, yes. most <laughs> disgusting, perverted. And his and he's pigeon. got such a tone to his yes. voice. And it's just flat. Yeah. And it's like matter of fact and direct. <laughs> oh and, my god. And I am that's me. I'm this pigeon. I love I this need pigeon. to watch this. Tina, I can't. Is it but is it on cable? I don't have cable. Go no, it's not even it, it was on Cartoon Network Adult Swim, but go to YouTube oh, and watch okay, the best so I, clips. It is not safe for your children. Okay. But he, it is so fucking filthy and so fun. I am dying. I, I was like, I had to pause it. Like tears oh my were God. coming out. I'm like, wait, what, what, what? I got to rewind it and listen to it again. It is so funny. Oh, well, I I'm need in to, love with I him. need to check it out. It's the greatest. I love uh, this. I watched, well, it's not funny, but um, Kid 90, Soleil Moon Fry. Mm. Oh my God. So some people don't like it. Okay. I loved it. What is this? A movie? So do you remember Soleil Moon Fry? Yes, Punky Brewster. Brewster. Yes. So she put this documentary out. So back in the nineties, mm -hmm. like when she was Punky Brewster, like after when she was a teen. Yes. She recorded everything. Everything. Everything she did for years. And then she just put this documentary of her wow. life in the nineties with like all the nineties stars she hung out with. Oh my God, I love this. But it's not like glam Hollywood. Like it, like when watching it, I'm like, oh my God, like Sad. this is like, well, I felt like it was like my life. Like, oh my God. As I was watching it and like, I mean, they're doing a lot of bad stuff and uh -huh. like the pain that they're feeling, mm. like the stuff that they're into. And she talks about like the struggle she had with her body image. Mm. And then like, it's really sad because like eight of the people like committed suicide. Oh my God. And so she like shows clips of them. And she's like, I wish I would have listened. It's, it's so good. And the music. Where do you see this? And then she, God, like had hooked up with, uh, the guy from house of pain. And like, it's like, the, oh. it's so, it's so good. And then Charlie Sheen, disgusting. You oh. have to what watch is, it. Where is this? It's on Hulu. Of course. Everything's on fucking Hulu because I don't have Hulu. Oh my God. I'll give you my passport. P.S. Uh, Barefoot Lobo <laughs> said Cody had recommended, which I just started listening to their, their new episode came out today, which, what is this? April 11th. Yeah. And they talk about this documentary called In and of Itself. And oh. Barefoot Lobo's like, you have to see this. You have to watch it. You have to watch it. I'm like, I don't have fucking Hulu. What am I supposed to do? But now I've got to get, I've got to get Hulu. Yeah. It's not that expensive. I know. But then you add it on to everything else I'm I paying know. for monthly. I feel like. Do you I, get, do you have cable? No. Yeah, I don't either. But I have 
Netflix and I have um, Prime. See, we got rid of Prime because of we're like anti-Bezos. Yeah, I hear you. But so. that's how I get my RuPaul's Drag Race. So, oh. Penny, <laughs> my cold dead hands, Penny. And then the other thing I saw that just yes. freaked me the hell out yes. is the Q docu-series okay. on HBO. <laughs> Let me tell you yes. that people are, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. all of the followers of Q are a bunch of puppets and they have no idea Mm. that they are puppets. And the people that he sort of says like, this is Q, like it's, it's so messed up. It's so messed up and frightening. Like what they believe and how it all came to play. It's so good, but it's really scary as hell. But don't you think it's easy to manipulate masses of people at this point with using social media? Well, I mean, this Mark guy, Zuckerberg, I mean, this Bird guy, Twitter, these guys if it's, really if it's these two, if, yeah, if it's the, the two people that this doc sort of accuses, it's, is it anybody we would know? No. Okay. So it's some random, random sort of like 12 year old outcast. <laughs> oh yeah. You like, yes. It, Genius probably on some it, level, it, but they're frightening. Wow. Like the way they talk about women. It's oh, yeah. the whole thing. The whole thing. Because he interviews him and he's just like, I'm not cute. It's it's really good. Oh, I got to watch this. It's really good. All right. I can do okay. HBO. That I can do. Yeah. But it's like six episodes and it's really, it, it's just uncomfortable. Oh God, I got to watch it. <laughs> the last thing, or no, second to last thing. Fuck it. I don't care. The last, second to last thing I want to bring up is um, our friend Whitney. She's a... Uh, I don't know if she's a psychologist. She's a teletherapist, but I don't know if she's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but maybe a psychologist. Anyway, she's the person I go to where I'm like, hi, I need help. Talk to me for a second, you know? And she recommended my therapist who I fucking love. And I started going back again and I'm so happy about that. But she's like, you need to, you need to listen to this book. You need to get this book. Oh, what is it? Yes. You were telling me about this. It's called Untamed. Telling me online about it. (laughs) It's called Untamed and the writer is Glennon Doyle. And I am like late to this party of like Glennon Doyle is the best thing ever. This woman's life is fucking amazing. But the book Untamed is like her third memoir. And it's about how her marriage fell apart. It had been falling apart and how she was living this lie anyway. And she falls in love with a woman, Abby, oh God, uh, Wambach. She's a soccer player. But anyway, it goes through how she's realizing all of these things. It's fucking oh, un. You'll have to let me read it when you're it done reading cha- it. Well, I got the audiobook. Oh, okay. But it's changed my life. Oh, Are I you love listening this. To me? It's changed my fucking life. <gasps> I cannot stop talking about this. I love this. And. It's really, like, I was recommending it to somebody that, but who's a man, but I was like, I don't know if it would still appeal to you. But as far as like, she's really talking about women being trapped or feeling caged or like yeah. how we forget who we are and how we let, we become these martyrs as mothers and we're like allowing parts of us to die so that our children could be happy or we could fit into a mold or fit into a, It is so oh, fucking I feel good. like <gasps> I feel this to my soul. Tina, I was just to talking to, to Kate and I were talking yesterday just about motherhood and like oh my God. The, the, the weight of things that we feel yes, and yes. the guilt. Like, like why? Why? Wow. Yeah. I need to read this. And living your truest life. And is this the truest? Like at one point she's talking about like staring in the mirror, thinking about her marriage and all this. Like her marriage was uh, what a fucking shit show. But, uh, but I mean, it depends on where you are if you're married, yeah. right? Like it could be anything, but her husband was a, like a cheater, 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 whatever. Uh. but she just never felt right in it anyway. It's, it's fine, whatever. But like, it's just the way she was like staring in the mirror and she was like, is this, is this the relationship I'd want my daughter to have? 
Like, is this the marriage I'd want my daughter? Like, this is what she's seeing. Wow. So is this, would I be happy if she was in this marriage? And I was like, oh shit. Like it completely I love that gives me goosebumps. Look at things. That gave me goosebumps. Yes. Oh. And I've been putting quotes up and it was like how you see things. You're like, oh, well, maybe in another lifetime. And she was, so she says, and then she goes, but then I thought there is not another lifetime. No. There, this is only, you get one, Tina, one lifetime. Is you that get one shot. Eminem's saying about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then she said, she talks about Eve and how, you know, going through, she was very, really, she was a Christian blogger for fuck's sake. Wow. Right? Yeah, dude, it's no. so amazing. It's so fucking amazing. Tina. Oh, I love this. And then she talks about Eve and how, of course, right from the beginning, it's like women are well, evil. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, but what if Eve wasn't, um, the 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 warning what if she was the model Ooh, like yes. fuck off i'm eating this apple and like let it burn like let's fucking go. go i love bitch that. i'm fucking in it i'm in it i am oh, now i need at, to get I'm, i need to I, i'm I, worshiping I, at the temple of glennon doyle like I, I fucking love her i need to get this book and, and i just ordered books the other day and p.s I, she lives in naples and i'm like this has nothing to do with politics, <laughs> but well, she's in Florida. Well, <laughs> wouldn't it be well, amazing? Well, wouldn't it be amazing? The t- things that she talks about, though, are very important to women. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I would I, be in, out of my why fucking not? mind. It's our show, girl. Oh, my God. I, I'm in love with her. Okay. La- last, last, last okay. thing, because okay. we are now, let's see how many minutes. Oh, shit. 13. Okay. My last thing is that on Friday, the latest Lil Muck came out, which oh, was Michelle Rainer-Goolsby. Oh, my God. She's amazing. I fucking love her. So amazing. Yeah. Funny, smart. Oh, my God. Just wonderful. And she is so on it about like what needs to be done for Florida. She's always posting, like yeah. calling people out. Yes. I love it. I love her. And she's, I just, I hope she's there forever. Or as long as she wants to be, at least. Yes. But that HB1 went through the Senate. Um, so it are, it went through the House very quickly, um, which is sneaky. the anti-mob bill. And then they snuck it into the Senate yeah. in the appropriations, and it's just fucking wrong. And I'm very disappointed. And I know, I know. that we tried to do everything we could we offline, did. but um, it's really disappointing. And I feel, And I also have to say that, I mean, in the work that we do, political stuff that we do, we tried very hard to just to, to get people motivated to do something about it but also here we've been talking about that bill for months yeah for we had an entire we, podcast with two guests yes then we talked to melba we, it was melba pearson it was um carolyn light caroline yeah. light um then we talked to michelle rayner about it we've talked we've been talking about this bill for a long time yeah. so the fact that it's like made its way this it, it's very disappointing we have a lot of work to do for 2022. Like we, we have to do, we have to try to get changes in this state or we're, it's going to get worse. Yeah. All right. Well, all that's right. All I have anyway. Today. Yes. I'm going to tell you the story of former East Chicago city councilman, mm. Robert Battle. Ooh, I love Chicago. Yes. Well, this is actually East Chicago, Indiana. Uh Right. I know it's a little, it's a little, it's a little, I, that when I first was looking at this, I was like, wait a minute, you know, cause I started researching, I'm hearing about these counties. I'm like, hold on a second. And so yeah, it's Indiana, okay. but Robert Battle began his career as city councilman for East Chicago in 2011. But when he is accused of murder, <gasps> along with possession and distribution of drugs a few years later, the embattled battle tries desperately to hold on to his position. Dang! Woo! 
I love your face when you after you say these things. I know. You're like, aren't you proud of me? Aren't you proud of this thing I put together? I I used another pun. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, like I said, this is in Indiana and it's basically on Lake Michigan. So it's this little town that's like near this area of uh, right off of Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I usually try to give a lot of details about the person, Mm -hmm. you know, before I go into the crime, but I couldn't find too too much and I a lot of this is based off of um city council minutes oh. because he was on the council and okay. then the council kind of had to talk about what happened and what they were going to do regarding this issue okay. with battle um and so but I was able to go back through the minutes to see like some of the things he was kind of fighting for in terms of his like constituents and things like that so um Good grief. You did some digging on I this. I did some digging. You did. Yeah. I, I, well, I like, I like the... Yeah, I can see you're, joy, you're overjoyed <laughs> by <I> this. Was, <laughs> so as a councilman, one thing that he really focused on was um, some issues in his community. So the community that he represented is, um, you know, a lower socioeconomic community. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a lot of different problems that were happening. So some of those things were... Things like limited parking, but one of the bigger things that people were concerned with um, around the time in 2014 was lead and arsenic contamination in one of the neighborhoods. And he wanted to set up testing sites so residents could be assured that they were okay. So this is happening right around the time of the Flint water crisis. Oh, wow. Right. And so then the residents of this community are hearing that this is happening and they're flipping out so he's like we need to make sure our constituents are safe and that they that their water is safe and we have to do this for them so I thought that was a really great thing and there was a particular building that he was really involved with called the Nicosia building and that building had several problems things like broken elevators crumbling bricks mold poor lighting and he Mm. was like we need to help the people living in this building like we have to do something so basically that was like his thing And then in May 2016, this is after his arrest, his sister Kimberly Maxey noted that he also held an annual dinner at that building. He distributed candy on Halloween. He would send out cards and letters to like people. Involved. And he donated water to the Flint water crisis. So he, you know, did work as a councilman. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Oh, God. In October 2015... Robert Battle allegedly shoots and kills Raimundo Camarillo Jr. Jesus. And according to closing statements made by attorney Joe Kurish in the May 16th, 2016 special election or special meeting that they held to talk about this, um, things started to go poorly for Battle in April of 2015. So that shooting happens in October of 2015, but back Before, in April. Yes. DEA agents from Lake County's task force, they start investigating battle for potential drug trafficking. Mm. And so he explains that the agents started tracking him based on a GPS ping. So they get this ping. Mm. They're able to see where he's going. Love it. And he further explained that as they're surveilling battle and they're surveilling him April, May, all through the summer in September. This is a, I'm sorry. This is a worst nightmare for me. That I'm being surveilled. So, and, and you nobody, have no, I have no idea. Have no like, idea. could you imagine? Like, you're living, you're just going about your and life. And someone's following you. I'm, that freaks me the yeah. fuck out. Do I have well, something to hide? Probably. <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah. So, he's being surveilled. Oh, my God. That freaks and me out. on September 18th, 2015, they trace him to a house in Flint, Michigan. Mm. So, he goes to this house in Flint, Michigan. Okay. Then he's heading back 
to Indiana. But at that point, they lost track of the car. So they're also staking out his house. So they're like, okay, we see that he shows up in a Pontiac Grand Am. Now they're like, he has this Pontiac uh, Grand Am. We know, like, this is what the car is. We know that he's gone to this house in Flint, Michigan. Um, So on uh, September 23rd, he leaves from his house in Indiana. He heads back to Flint, Michigan. Mm. And they know the make of the car. They know what house he's probably heading to. So they reach out to the Michigan FBI. Now, this house that he's going to is a known, uh, has a known drug trafficker. Okay. So they're like, okay, why is he going back and forth to this house in Flint, I mean, Michigan? What What's the question? Why are we right? really going to question? He's a drug trafficker. We know why he's going there. Yeah. Come so on. yeah. So, but they Come need on. they need the evidence, right. right? And so they reach out to the Michigan FBI, mm. and the Michigan FBI is the one that tells them, well, hey, this house belongs to this guy named Walters, and he and and he dealt with coke. He was a cocaine dealer. Dang. That was the drug that he was trafficking. So. As the Grand Am leaves and heads back to Indiana, they do a traffic stop. Oh, bing. And when yes. they do, so what do they find? They stop the car. Oh, God. And then it just reeks of marijuana. <laughs> so <laughs> Those the car, are my favorite cars to drive by. Yes. You pass so, a car oh on the God. road and you're, you're like, like, oh, Ooh, they're having hi. fun. <laughs> Hello. So the state trooper then is like, I get to search your car now. Yeah. Because like. A probable cause. I, yep. I have a nose that works. So <laughs> no, I hit a skunk. Yeah. Right. That's how it is in Florida. Everyone's like, yeah. it's a skunk. Yeah. yeah right. That's that skunk. Weed. <laughs> so, um, this allows the cops to search the vehicle and they find 73 grams, which is like an eighth. It's not that much. It's like an eighth of weed, but that's not all they find. They also find $100,700 in a backpack. Ooh. And they make a point to note that the way that it was wrapped with these rubber bands is consistent with drug trafficking. Mm. And I was like, well, I don't get it. Like, it's just wrapped a certain way. And that, yeah. like, that's like a clue, like, oh, this is how traffickers like wrap their money. Like, I don't know. But maybe it's the, bundled maybe a certain how many way. Is in, how much is in Yeah, each or thing. how it's bundled, whatever. But who knew? <sighs> God, they find that and that kind of tips them off that it's probably, I mean, hello, related to that. Yeah. So now because there's this stash of cash in the car, uh, Courage, that attorney, explained that the cops were able to get a warrant to show up at Walter's house mm. in Flint and they find drugs, weapons, money. Jeez. And that guy gets arrested. Yeah. So this is in September, right? And I didn't find anything that said that he was released on bomb, but he was out. So he was arrested. Now he's out. But a month but no- later... Yeah, and then a month later, this murder happens. Shit. Why, you know, does he kill this guy or allegedly kill this guy? So supposedly, Battle meets up with Camarillo to talk about the debt Battle owed him. Mm. And things get heated. Kirish noted that Battle alleged that Camarillo threatened him with a knife and he defended himself by shooting him. But the attorney also points out that according to investigators... There were no weapons found. There was no knife, and they didn't find the gun either. And in Becky Jacobs's Chicago Tribune article, Camarillo's family said that he was shot in the back, mm. which doesn't really sound like self-defense. No, honey. No. So, <laughs> Jesus. So now, Battle is in jail. He's got several charges against him, and I'll get into that. But again, this goes down in October of 2015, smack dab in the middle of his re-election campaign. Oh, well, I can predict what's going to happen here. Guess what yeah. happens? Yeah. 
re-election he's re-elected of course he's re-elected but now this is after he's been arrested yes this is after he shot somebody yes yeah so november october he shoots somebody yes. november boom he's voted now he did run <laughs> unopposed oh, please. we can write okay. somebody in for fuck's sake we can't come up with a better way to do this but still 308 people i, I got a perfect checked. person to put on the ballot pigeon right pigeon <laughs> from mike tyson pigeon uh, yes that, that bird so, but 308 people still put the check mark That's by his name. How many? 308. Oh my God. Why? Like 308 Where are people. the voters? Where are the voters in East Indiana, East Chicago, Indiana? I don't know. So 300. Becky Jacobs reported that Camarillo's sister, Celeste, said battle winning the election was, quote, a slap in the face. Uh, hello? I mean, Someone's it's dead. terrible. Someone is dead. The Associated Press, as reported in the Dubois County Herald, cited Camarillo's father, Raimundo Camarillo Sr., uh, his response is saying, quote, I heard everything, but I can't understand. He's using that money to pay his attorney. I pay taxes. He was my only son. Mm. I mean, how terrible for this family. Because this area isn't like very large. You know what I mean? Like, how many times it's, have it's, we it's, had it's to? It's terrible. But you think about, and, and I don't know anything about this guy that was, was killed, but if even if he was involved in like a drug deal or whatever, it doesn't say, matter. What, it doesn't, it doesn't deserve but the victims of uh, an over, being overshadowed because the person's an elected. I yes. mean, this guy's not really anybody, but you think about like a Monica Lewinsky, you oh, know, yeah. who was a victim of oh. this motherfucker. Sorry, she was. She was. Uh, he used And her position. life was, was ruined for, for many oh, years. Oh my God. Many, I many, mean, many she was just... Like, I mean, she is like the epitome of slut shaming. Yes. It's, yes. it's disgusting. I mean, awful. Ugh. But they, the, when it's somebody who's, you know, they forget about the people who are actually, you know, who are part of it. Thing. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have or the level. Yeah. Chap, you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. I mean, this woman was writing speeches for Bobby Kennedy. You yes. never hear anything about that. All you hear no. is that she was in a car with Ted Kennedy. And that Kennedy. she was a secretary. Yes. You right. know, like they, they right. diminish, it's you know, up. her intelligence. Not that yes. being a secretary, I'm not saying no, that, but, but, they but she played did it, all played of this other stuff. Yes. yes. So then Sheriff John Bunick had this to say about Battle's re-election. I would hope that the right thing is done so that the citizens of East Chicago and especially his district can be properly represented. Mm. And that's the other thing. Like you have, you're sitting in a jail cell mm. and you're reelected. There are still constituents that need someone to represent them. How are you doing that from your jail cell? You know what I mean? Like, even if you're innocent, you should say, you know what? Like someone else needs to take that seat so that like that's taken care of. If you're a decent person, if you really no. care about the people in your community, have you listened to this podcast? We don't do that. Here. I know. We don't. I do mean, that this here. embattled battle. <laughs> he wants to keep the seat, and yeah. in fact, in fact, uh -huh. he actually took his oath of office in his jail cell. <laughs> they brought. They had a notary in there in his cell. Yes. Can you imagine this? Yes. And he signed the like he signed the paper <laughs> like like. No, so it's, it's like you, you, you are, first of all, you got caught, you know, in a car with money. So already the, the, the drug charges alone, you know what I mean? Let alone the murder charge. But let and, me and, ask and, you, and, who and what in your kind life, of person? I, I don't know. But who in your life, <laughs> Tina, everybody's got to have somebody who in your life would come to you and be like, Tina, you're in jail. You really shouldn't be taking the yeah. oath anymore. Like who would do that for you? I feel like most people that I know, I mean, you for sure would be like, what the fuck yeah, are you Tina, doing? Get the fuck out of the jail. We <laughs> got to stop this now. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if that would happen. Like this guy obviously doesn't have anybody around him who's like, get your shit together. Yeah, no. So 
what are the charges? Yeah. So a lot of the articles point to the indictment. So I had trouble because I usually like to find like the actual case text that like has the formal mm-hmm. charges. Um, so I couldn't find that. But Capital Gazette did report that the state agreed to move. So there are the state charges. Um, and then there's the murder charge. And so there's these two things happening and they decide we're going to just make this like one, like a federal okay. charge. So it gets okay. moved to the federal level. All right. And so the charges were discharging a firearm, causing death. Mm. And the other possession of marijuana with intent to distribute. And that's from that stop back in September. So in the beginning, he pleads not guilty. And ultimately, in 2018, he takes a plea deal. He pleaded guilty to possession of a firearm during a drug trafficking crime causing death. Mm. And he's sentenced to 20 years in prison. Wow. So U.S. Attorney Kirsch had this to say, and this was published in the U.S. Attorney's Office press release. Mr. Battle was a drug dealer Mm. while at the same time serving as a public official. He was elected to uphold the law and instead conspired to break it. Today's sentence reflects the seriousness of his offense and should be a warning to others who want to engage in these types of violent crimes. So the aftermath of all of this. There was a special meeting because um, remember he pleads not guilty. So um, in 2016, they hold in May 2016, they hold that special meeting to get him out, like as a council Jesus. to say, like, we need to vote him out. Gosh. Um, be- but there was nothing in the bylaws that stated what to do in this circumstance. So that was how he was able to um, stay. So unless he resigned or was found guilty, he could technically hold the seat. Wow. And they ultimately vote in favor of ousting him and okay. had to be like a majority vote and quorum, yes. whatever. So some points of interest, Battle and Camarillo only lived a block away from each other. Hmm. So they were neighbors and they were in, and that was one of the things in one of the articles where one of the family members was like, well, if he gets out in 20 years, like we all live near each other. Like, how do oh I explain God. to his children? Ugh. Like, Hey, that's the guy who killed your father, Jesus. you know, things like that. The other thing I found really interesting was Battle's sister fought on behalf of Battle to retain his seat on the council. So in that, See? he in, doesn't yeah. have anybody around him. He's like, so what are you doing? In that May 16th special meeting, you know, there's attorneys there and then she's there to like, Oy vey, you know, honey. and her position was that Battle, and this was Battle's position as well, that Battle did not have to be present to serve. And she pointed out. That kid, he could have someone present to take his place and oh. sit on the di- oh, uh, on the she, dais. She's ready to take the seat. And she happening. also said that he could vote via phone or video conference. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basic. And I think this in the, middle, this in the middle of that, they're like, well, where are they going to sit? Well, uh, sit right there. Yeah. In that, in that just, put a video, just put a phone there. With a, press, press the conference <laughs> button. Everything's, this, is, this is perfectly normal. Yes. It's, and it's not like he's got cancer and maybe he's calling from the bedroom. He's in jail for he's killing jail somebody. For killing someone. You idiots. He's yes. a drug dealer. What are you talking about? Yes. Oh, this sister so, was angling, though. Oh she was angling God. for a move. She wanted to sit up. I'll take his place. Get out. <laughs> I don't Get know out. if she would have been the one. But, <laughs> oh, my God. But, of course, we know, at least I think this was really the main motive and the father mm. and his comment um, uh, Raymundo's father commented yeah. from the time that battle was arrested through this meeting, he was permitted to collect his salary of <gasps> about $43,000. Oh and that's God. why, that's why the father said like, he's using that money to pay oh. for attorneys wow. for what he did to my, like, so that means like the taxpayers wow. are paying for that. So I could imagine that the family is like, basically my money I love this is family. going yes. to pay wow for the man who killed my son's attorneys wow you know what i mean in 
incredible. It's, dis- it's disgusting. It is. Good for them, though. I love this family. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on. So, smart. They're smart. Uh, this, is, this is incredible. This is just wild. So because as Attorney Courage pointed out, the thing is he missed meetings each month and would continue to miss meetings. And not only that, he couldn't be present. He, the guy is like... He can't, the attorney's like, he can't drive through the neighborhood and see what constituents need. No. He can't show up here to meet, you know, like, he's like, he's not serving the they people even, in his community. How do they even contact him and say, oh, councilman, can you do so-and-so? Oh, there's this, a hole in the road outside. Can you get it filled for me? I mean, do they call the jail? Who do they, do they well, sign in and visit every Saturday well, listen, on the visiting Battle, hours? Battle wrote them a letter, his constituents, oh. and he said that he'll continue to be there for them oh. and he would not be, quote, shamed. <laughs> into an action we know that we know you know no shame no shame we know that and then in a letter to the count wow. then he wrote letters to his fellow council members Ugh. and he said mm. he was as his sister noted happy to serve via video phone <laughs> oh or God. something else like hey i have um, never <laughs> i can't I, I gotta tell you i don't know this life i am so ashamed of everything yeah like i don't this is this is glennon doyle like why am i carrying this why am i carrying the ship this is ridiculous this person has nothing this is insanity it's insanity so a chicago tribune article by Teresa ock schultz revealed that battle did have some run-ins with the law prior to all of this Mm. but they were very minor like minor drug possession things like it was marijuana Mm. and they were dropped um after he attended like one of those um, diversion program kind of things. Okay. Um, but the article also revealed in 2014, which is a year before all this happened, he was named in a trial for purchasing cocaine. So there was a drug dealer on trial and one of those people mentioned battle. Mm. And it said also that battle was like showing up every day at the trial. <laughs> seeing what's going Could on. Could you imagine? And then his name gets brought up. He's probably yes. like puts a paper in front of his yeah, face, like, like moves, out, uh, <laughs> moves out of the courtroom. He's probably like, I want to hear what's, yeah. if I'm going to be mentioned or not. Of course or who you knows. are, you fool. So that's the story of oh. counsel. Councilman turned criminal Tina. Robert Battle. Love it. What a wild my favorite story. I this but it's a short know, and a sweet. It's a short and a sweet, but I have to say, like, this is quintessential muck podcast. Oh my god. This guy fits like we have to have a checklist. Yeah. <laughs> and there's probably five things on the checklist, yeah, but like, if refuses you hit, to leave office. Yes, <laughs> runs from jail or like in prison, refuses oh to my leave. God. Why can't I stay? Still getting paid. Like these are check marks. Yeah. Of I like mean, defying everything like logic and yeah. human decency well check, at the end check, of that check, council check. meeting it was great because they're like okay like we're gonna vote and everyone voted in favor of yeah get you know, out yeah i mean i won't be shamed of course you won't be shamed but stop trying to shame the council people they're not gonna well the, the other you? thing that was funny is the sister tried to say like it wasn't really fair because the because you know how there is the the town attorney mm-hmm. and the town attorney counsels yes the the council about yeah. What, what, whatever, what, yeah, what whatever they can things. do, what yes. they can't do. Yeah. And so the town attorney, she's like, you know, he's not offering counsel to battle. He's oh. in jail. And, oh my and then God. you guys brought it. And so the other attorney, that courage that they brought in, they're, they're like, and you guys are paying this other attorney. And he's like, it's because he, the town attorney, <laughs> yeah. can't, you know, he can't be involved in it. The other attorney says, I'm here because the town attorney can't be involved in battle and this other stuff. That's why they asked me as an objective person to come in and and present to the council on why he should not be permitted to remain on council. The town 
Attorney can't do that because it's a conflict of interest. But in also, a way. the town were, attorney yeah. is hired to sit on the dais, and they can look at him and go, "Is this something that we can do?" As yes. far as pertaining to town business, yes, it's not about Counsel- murder yeah. and and, and, drug- and counseling the, the the guy on oh on God. trial for how can I remain on the council? He yeah. it, no. Oh my, he's there for the funny. best interests of the town. Yes, get the. Fuck it's out. so funny, ridiculous, so crazy. Okay, so mine. It might be a little long. I think it's totally worth it. You know, I don't yeah. know how to edit, so that's how it is. But anyway, I am going to tell you the story. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going to talk about former CIA agent <gasps> Mark Felt, Ooh. also known as Deep Throat. Oh my God! <laughs> Hold on, I need, I need to, it. I need to, yeah, I need to get into this. Yes. Now, listen. I know we all know about Watergate. I'll go over it like briefly when we get into that part of his story. But um, I had read a little bit about him uh, recently, and I was like, I just want to talk about him because his yes. life is super interesting. Let's and do it. Didn't it. come out for like de- you know decades and decades later, so. I just imagine that's your code name though. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Deep throat is the best, right? Oh. Okay. So Mark felt after graduating from Twin Falls High School in 1931, he uh, felt attended the University of Idaho. He was a member and president of the Gamma Gamma chapter of the Beta Phi Theta Phi. Nope, that's not right. That's okay. Fraternity and received a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1935. He then went to Washington, D.C. to work in the office of Democratic U.S. Senator James P. Pope. In 1938, he married Audrey Robinson of Gooding, Ohio, um, who he, he knew as a student in univers- at the University of Idaho, and she worked at the Internal Revenue Service in okay. D.C. So he stayed on with Pope's successor in the Senate, David Worth Clark. So he's working in this guy's office, Democrats yeah. from Idaho. Okay. So then he attends George Washington University Law School at night. He earns his Juris Doctor degree in uh, 1940, and he was admitted to the District of Columbia Bar in 1941. So when he graduates he goes to work for the federal trade commission and he but he didn't really enjoy it and i thought this part was great from his this is from his memoir he wrote about how his workload was very light and he was assigned to investigate whether a toilet paper brand called red cross was misleading consumers into thinking it was endorsed by the american red cross oh so he wrote in his memoir quote my research, which required days of travel and hundreds of interviews, produced two definite conclusions. One, most people did use toilet tissue. <laughs> and two, Good to know. <laughs> and two, most people did not appreciate being asked about it. Um, yeah, and mean, then he said, that was when I started looking for other employment. Like, he's like, yeah, all right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done here. He applied for a job with the FBI in November 1941 and was accepted. And his first day at the bureau was January 26, 1942. Wow. So kind of Old a fun time, time to be there. Yeah. yeah. So FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover often moved bureau wow. agents around so they could have wide experience in the field. And this was typical of agencies and corporations at the time. And felt observed that Hoover, quote, wanted every agent to get into any field office at any time and since hoover had never been transferred and did not have a family he had no idea of the financial and personal hardship that was mm. involved so every didn't. time i just think of yeah hoover i think of clue because yeah. <laughs> the phone call comes oh my in God. yes i love that movie so <laughs> it's much the best, it's the best movie it, ever it really is um after completing 16 weeks of training at the fbi academy in quant quant quantico 
Did Quantico. I Quantico, Virginia, and FBI headquarters in Washington felt as- was assigned to Texas, spending three months in the field offices in Houston and San Antonio. He returned to the FBI headquarters where he was assigned to the espionage section of the Domestic Intelligence Division, tracking down spies and Ooh. saboteurs during World War II. How I much fun. love that. Girl. He worked on the major case desk. So his most notable work was on the peasant case. Helmut Goldschmidt, operating under the codename Peasant, was a German agent in custody in England. And under Felt's direction, his German masters were led to believe that Peasant had made his way to the United States <gasps> and thus were fed disinformation about Allied Ooh. plans. Ooh, I love this, right? Wow. Yes. So wow. that unit, unit was abolished after May, 19, in May 1945 after VE Day. And after the war, he was assigned to the Seattle field office. And he did two years of like general work. He spent five, two years like as a firearms instructor and was promoted age from agent to supervisor. Um, under the passage of the Atomic Energy Act and the creation of the United States Atomic Energy Commission, the Seattle office became responsible for completing background checks of workers at the Hanford Plutonium plant near Richland, Washington. And so he oversaw all those background yeah. investigations. Kind of a fun time to be in the FBI, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible yeah. everything that he's, he, he does. Um, and then in 1954, he returned briefly to Washington as an inspector's aide. And two months later, he was sent to New Orleans as an assistant special agent in charge wow. of the field office. That's a lot of moving. Yeah. And then he was transferred to Los Angeles 15 months later. And wow. he held that. Yeah. That's how, so, I mean, he's right that that has to be hard for yes, families. Yes. he's married. Yeah. Right, and they have kids. Um, in 1956, he was tr- transferred to Salt Lake City and promoted to special agent in charge. And the Salt Lake City office included Nevada within its purview and felt often oversaw some of the Bureau's earliest investigations into organized crime, Ooh. assessing the mob's operations in the Reno and Las Vegas cons- casinos. So it was Hoover's and therefore the Bureau's official position at the time that there was no such thing as the mob. Oh, I love that. I kept this in for you because I thought you would like it. So <laughs> in February 1958, Felt was assigned to Kansas City, Missouri, Dang, which was dubbed. It's like every two years he's somewhere else. Yeah. So at the time, this was dubbed the Siberia of field offices, <laughs> right, where he was, he was directed further investigations of organized crime. By this time, Hoover had, become, had come to believe in organized crime in the wake of the famous Appalachian, New York conclave of underworld bosses in November 1957. Do you know about this meeting? Because uh, I, I be- saw this and I was like, what the fuck is that? I, I think I do. It's, it's all like all these families meet, yes. the bosses meet. Yes, I, so I, I looked it up. So the Appalachian meeting was a historic summit of the American mafia held at the home of mobster Joseph Joe the Barber, Barber Barbara at 625 McFall Road in Appalachian, New York on November 14th, 1957. Allegedly, the meeting was held to discuss various topics including loan sharking, narcotics trafficking, and gambling along with dividing the illegal operations controlled by the recently murdered Albert Anastasia. I feel like there's like an echo of that in Godfather. Remember, yes, they're like yes, sitting yes, around yes, the table. Yes, I was thinking about yeah. that meeting. An estimated 100 mafioso from the United States, Italy, and Cuba are thought to have attended this meeting. Wow. And immediately after the Anastasia murder that October, and after taking control of the Luciano crime family, renamed the Genovese crime family from Frank Costello, Vito Genovese wanted to legitimize the new power by holding a national Cosa Nostra meeting. So mm, that's kind of cool. Yes. And uh, so that's, so he starts yeah. working in that. So he returns to D.C. in September 1962 as assistant to the Bureau's assistant director in charge of the training division, and he helped oversee the FBI Academy. In 1964, November, he was promoted to assistant director of the Bureau as chief inspector of the Bureau and head of the inspection division, and he oversaw compliance with, like, regulations and internal investigations. Okay. 
1971, he was promoted to, by Hoover to Deputy Associate Director, assisting Associate, Dire Associate Director Clyde Tolson. Hoover's right-hand man for decades was Tolson, but he was failing... Um, Tolson was failing in health and unable to carry out his duties. So uh, Richard Gid Powers wrote that Hoover installed felt to rein in William C. Sullivan's domestic spying operations as Sullivan had been engaged in secret unofficial work <gasps> for the White House. Oh. Yeah. So this is all going to come oh, back that's, up. But that's interesting. Yeah. So, so his, they're not only dealing with outside stuff, but they're dealing with potential internal surveillance yeah. things that shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Well, that's all. That's a lot of what Watergate yeah, was too. Yeah. So in his memoir, Felt quoted Hoover as saying, "Quote: I need someone who can control Sullivan. I think you know he has been getting out of hand." Ooh. In his book, The Bureau, Ronald, Ronald Kessler said that Felt quote managed to please Hoover by being tactful with him and tough on agents. Kurt Gentry described Felt as the quote the director's latest fair-haired boy who had no inherent power in his new post. The real number three being John P. Moore. So, I think that Hoover was probably very manipulative too. Don't you think like you have to be with these guys and like yeah. make you feel like you're important, but I need you to do this, this yeah. work for me, which is basically spying then, on other agents. Yes, but how many people is he yeah. doing and that who's, with? Who's he, who's he have, who does he have watching Felt? Yeah, you know? that's what I mean. Like, cause then Felt is going to be, think maybe yeah. perhaps thinking that if you're doing, if I'm doing this, yes, who else is doing that? Right, Ooh, right. And you Everybody's can't trust surveilling anybody. everybody. Oh. <laughs> hey. So uh, Hoover died in his sleep and was found in the morning of May 2nd, 1972. Tolson was nominally in charge until the next day when Nixon appointed L. Patrick Gray III as acting FBI director. Tolson submitted his resignation, which Gray accepted. So Tolson's like, bye, yeah. right? Felt succeeded to Tolson's post as associate director, the number two job in the Bureau. Wow. So he served as, and he also served as an honorary pallbearer at Hoover's funeral. So he wow. was pretty close to him, right? On the day of Hoover's death, Hoover's secretary for five decades, Helen Gandy, began destroying his files. <gasps> you knew that, right? Did you ever see that Nixon? Yeah. I, that Nixon uh, Hoover documentary. No. Yeah, this bitch starts like <laughs> shredding everything. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. what was in all so of that? She turned over 12 boxes of the official confidential files to felt on may 4th 1972 these contain of which was wasn't shredded right these contain well i mean that that clear okay clearly yeah hoover is like look this is the bullshit you're gonna send that's yeah. like this is real and everything else and everything oh god imagine what was in there, was in there. Oh, probably, oh yeah it could have been stuff on, but it could have been stuff on felt too because of if, course you know of course Ooh. so these contain uh the ones that she turned over contained 167 files and 17,750 pages many of them contained derogatory information about individuals whom H hoover had investigated and he would use this information as power over them oh my god it's like a scientology <laughs> <laughs> that's right they the find e the dirt <laughs> the e let's get those secrets bitch um, and so Felt stored these files in his office and the existence of such files had long been rumored. Gray, who's now the new director or the, yeah, the, the new director of the FBI yeah. told the press that afternoon that quote, there are no dossiers or secret files. There are just general files. And I took the steps to pr preserve their integrity. Oh, Felt earlier told uh, earlier imagine, that day. Imagine though, if this secretary. Yeah. If she was like, stuff? you know, let me keep a file or two. And it's like in an <laughs> attic somewhere. Oh, you know what I mean? Somebody found them today, like behind a wall. Oh my God, please. Let's like, I, I, oh, where, where did she live? Yeah. That Can would be I go amazing. there? <laughs> that would be amazing. So earlier that day, Felt had told Gray, he said, Miss quote, Mr. Gray, the bureau doesn't have any secret files and later accompanied Gray to Hoover's office. Gray, you know, Gandy was like showing, uh, was boxing up papers and like showing him around. Gray's like, yeah, there's nothing here. 
Like he was, because everything was fucking gone already. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to see and here. And then Gandhi, the secretary, she retained Hoover's personal file and then she destroyed it. So she took, got rid of anything that had. Did she destroy it? I don't know. Who has it? What if it's like been Where passed on and passed on and passed on and it's fucking somewhere. Like, yeah, that would be amazing. Like somewhere in, in the uh, FBI, like there was some person that Hoover was like, this is the person you can give it to. Yeah. And then that person has a person. Yeah. Oh my God. It's the best. So when Felt was called to testify in 1975 by the U.S. House uh, about the destruction of Hoover's papers, he said, quote, there's no serious problems if we lose some papers. I don't see anything wrong, and I still don't, end quote. But this isn't losing papers. This is someone deliberately destroying it's, it's like papers. like deny, 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 <laughs> deny. At the same hearing, Gandhi, who's the secretary, claimed that she had destroyed Hoover's personal files only after receiving Gray's approval. In a letter submitted to the committee in rebuttal of Gandhi's testimony, Gray vehemently denied ever giving such permission. Mm. Okay. Okay, so in his memoir, Felt had expressed mixed feelings about Gray, and he was the first person appointed as head of the FBI who had no experience in the agency, which, of course, burned fucking, uh, you know, Felt's bottom. While noting Gray did work hard, Felt was critical of how how often he was away from the FBI because he didn't live in in D.C., he lived in Connecticut, so Gray would, Mm. like, commute every day. Um, and he was also absent a lot. He was in the hospital a lot. So he was never really around, which meant that felt was doing all the work. And Bob Woodward wrote, quote, Gray got to be the director of the FBI while felt did the work. Right. Like that's kind of like felt, you know, yeah. Well, someone has to do it. Yeah. So, but he wasn't getting, he was the recognition. He wasn't the director. Like he probably wanted to be, you know? So he wrote, Felt also wrote in his memoir, quote, the record amply demonstrates that that President Nixon made Pat Gray the acting director of the FBI because he wanted a politician in J. Edgar Hoover's position who would convert the Bureau into an adjunct of the White House machine, end quote. Ooh. I know. Okay. So Watergate. Um, a little bit about Watergate because that's how we become Deep Throat, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which again is a great name. Um, yes. So the Watergate scandal, which I love, I would love to cover that. Yeah, we have to, but point. that has to be like, yeah, it'll be like a. That's the topic. Super duper. Yeah. yeah. So a little overview. The Watergate scandal was a major political scandal scandal in the United States involving the administration of U.S. President Richard Nixon from 1971 to 74 that ultimately led to Nixon's resignation. The scandal stemmed from the Nixon's administration's continuous attempts to cover up its involvement in the June 17th, 1972 break in of the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Washington, D.C. Watergate office building. After the five perpetrators were arrested, the press and the U.S. Justice Department Justice Department connected the cash found on them at the time to the Nixon re-election campaign committee. Mm-mm-mm. Incredible. Mm-mm. Fucking incredible, right? Why are you walking around with that money Ooh, on you anyway? Honey. <laughs> Further investigations along with revelations during subsequent trials of the burglars led the U.S. House of Representatives to grant its Judiciary Committee additional investigation authority to probe into, quote, certain matters within its jurisdiction and the U.S. Senate to create a special investigative committee. Witnesses testified that the president had approved plans to cover up administration involvement in the break-in and that there was a voice-activated taping system in the Oval Office. I oh, love shit. that I know. so much. Throughout the investigation, the administration resisted its probes, which led to a constitutional crisis. Several major revelations and egregious, egregious presidential actions uh, action against the investigation later in 1973 prompted the House in co- to commence an impeachment process against Nixon. 
the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Nixon had to release the Oval Office tapes to government investigators. That mm. is, I can't even imagine. And you're the president. It's incredible. Oh, Sorry, it's guys. It's incredible that it even had to go that far. Yeah. The tapes revealed that Nixon had conspired to cover up activities that took place after the break-in and had attempted to use federal officials to deflect the investigation. With the complicity, with his complicity in the cover-up uh, made public and his political support completely eroded because... Maybe the Republicans were the ones who voted to get this shit going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon resigned from office on August 9th, 1974, and there were 69 people indicted and 40. Uh, there were 69 people indicted and 48 people. Many of them, top Nixon administration officials, were all convicted. Okay, so at the time, Felt was the associate director of the FBI, and he saw everything that was being compiled in Watergate before it was ever given to Gray. The agent in charge uh, of the investigation, Charles Nuzum, sent his findings to the investigative division head, Robert Gephardt, who passed the information on to Felt. Um, from the day of the break-in in June, 19, June 17th, 1972, until the FBI investigation was mostly completed, which was in June 1973, Felt mm. was the key control point for FBI information. Ooh. He had been among the first to learn of the investigation, being, in, being informed the morning of June 17th. Ronald Kessler, who spoke to former bureau agents, reported that throughout the investigation, they were, quote, they quote, were amazed to see material in Woodward and Bernstein's stories lifted almost verbatim from their reports or interviews a few days or weeks earlier, end quote. Okay, uh, so how, so now what we understand is like uh, Bob Woodward and Bernstein, they're reporters for the Washington Post yeah. and they start to print stories and they eventually write a book called All the President's Men, yes. which about all the guys surrounding Nixon and they had this informant and they just, they, they the editor of the Post named him deep throat because at the time <laughs> there was a very famous pornography yes. a pornography movie yep. about a woman who could yeah <laughs> down her throat yep. and uh he thought it would be a funny name to call him deep throat which by the way I is hilarious love it so much girl it's the greatest it's the greatest Especially like that it comes out and like that's the informant's yeah, name. Like, because people at the time must have been like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if, there's a great documentary about that movie, by the way, that you can see. And it talks about, um, uh, it was like world premiere. Like they had yeah. a premiere, like as if it was a regular yes, movie. Yes. I, I know someone huge. who uh, told me that when he was in college, Mm -hmm. they would play it. They would play the movie like in, you know, like the, you know, the union or whatever it was and kids would just go and like, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, and that was in like the eighties. Like they would show it. What was the name of the lady in the movie? Hold on. Now I've got to look it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. The ladies, the actress's name was, um, Linda Lovelace. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. At least that was her stage name. Yes. She was very talented, Tina. (laughs) Very talented. Uh, Okay. So anyway, yes, I'd get more into it, but there's people in the room. I can't get into it. Otherwise I'd love to talk about it anyway. So Bob Woodward first described his describes his source nicknamed quote deep throat in all the president's men as a, as a quote source in the executive branch who had access to information at CRP, which was the committee to reelect the president um, in his 1972 campaign. I love that Um, he's just feeding the press. Yes. So in the book, Deep Throat is described as an, quote, an incorrigible gossip who was, quote, in a u- unique position to observe the executive branch, a man whose fight had been worn out in too many battles. Ooh, oh God, <laughs> come sit next to me, please. Yes. Tell me everything. Oh, God, I want to know everything. <laughs> 
and he like spills it, honey. Yeah, well. The tea is hot. Yes. <laughs> so Woodward had known the source before Watergate and had discussed politics and government with him. So in, 2000, in 2005, Woodward wrote that he had first met Felt at the White House in 1969 or 70. And Woodward was working for Admiral Thomas Morer, a chairman of the G- Joint Chiefs of Staff, and was delivering papers to the White House Situation Room. And so that's how he meets Felt. Um, and he described Felt as a tall man with perfectly combed gray hair, distinguished looking, and a studied, of air con- studied air of confidence, even Ooh. what might would be called a what might be called a command presence and quote. Nice. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Right? Um, when when does he? And you'll probably get into this, but when does the public learn? Who oh, deep throat yeah, was. Yeah, no, okay. much, much later. So when, um, they, so they stayed in touch when they met and they had phone conversations. And when Woodward started working at the Washington Post, he phoned Felt on several occasions to ask for information for articles in the paper. And Felt's information taken on a promise that Woodward would never reveal its origin was a source for a few stories, notably an article on May 18th, 1972 about Arthur Bremer, who had shot George Wallace. Oh. So he was giving him information yes. long before Watergate, yeah. right? Or not long, but before. But before, yeah. Yeah. So when the Watergate story broke, Woodward called on Felt. And, Felt. and now, you know, Felt's in this very unique position of like, now I'm working under gray yes. all these years. I'm not going to come to work. Like, well, I'm ready. And, I'm ready. I mean, if anyone could be a secret yes. spy for, <laughs> it's this guy. Like, this he, guy. Knows he knows everything. all about it. <laughs> yeah. So um, Felt told Woodward on June 19th that, uh, you know, 1972, that E. Howard Hunt, who had ties to Nixon, was involved. He said the fo- the telephone number of his White House office had been listed in an address book of one of the burglars. So they found tons of stuff on these guys. And what, it had kind tons- of bur- what kind of burglars <laughs> just t- carry everything with them? I think he was in them. their room. Like, they went back to it's their rooms stupid. and they found all kinds of stuff in there. I know. Listen, they're not criminals. Yes. They're just idiots. Yeah. They're like these... Bumbling, yeah. bumbling burglars. So initially, Woodward's source was known as at the Post as, quote, my friend. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot friendlier than Deep yeah. Throat. Yeah. Post editor Howard Simmons tagged him as Deep Throat uh, after the widely known pornography, which we talked about. According to Woodward, Sim, um, Simons, did I say Simmons? Simmons thought of the term because Felt had been providing information on a deep background basis. Yeah, whatever. He Y'all liked please, the movie. He's please, a fan. Okay. Please. Linda Lovelace. Hello. Yes. When Felt revealed his role in 2000, five it was noted that my friend had the same initials as mark felt oh. yeah woodward's notes from interviewing felt were marked mf which woodward says was not very good trade craft. <laughs> <laughs> so i really love this and i thought you would like it too it's like their code of when they would talk like when they wanted to meet yes so woodward explained that when he wanted to meet deep throat he would move a a flower pot pot with a red flag on his apartment balcony. He lived at number 617 Webster House, 1718 P Street, Northwest in D.C. And on occasions when Deep Throat wanted a meeting, he would circle the page number on page 20 of Woodward's copy of the New York Times delivered to his building and draw a clock hands to signal (gasps) the hour. I love this so much. Yeah, me too. And by the oh, way, I also read that like somebody looked into this. They're like, there's no way someone they could, he could see the balcony. And how does he know it's his New York Times? Go fuck yourself. This is how it worked. Listen, can you just this guy is be? in the FBI. Yeah, can he can please? get access to whatever he wants. I mean, come on. He just, come on. Stop, stop questioning everything so much. Just let us have some fun. Yes. God damn it. Flower pot moving. Please. I love this. I'm going to start doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my secret yeah. code. <laughs> So days after the break-in, Nixon and White House Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman, who, by the way, I've talked about on the podcast before because he was involved when 
Elvis came to see oh. Nixon. Halderman <laughs> reads the day the day's agenda. Oh and yeah, Nixon, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Elvis is on there. Halderman's like, "Is this a fun-? like?" He wrote in the notes like, "Is this a joke that Elvis <laughs> is coming here?" Okay, that's um, funny. So he talked about putting pressure on the FBI to slow down the investigation. Oh, so this is all on those tapes. This what is how a we're jerk. Gonna- so the Dis- District of Columbia Police had called in the FBI because they found the burglars had wiretapping equipment, and wiretapping is a crime investigated by the FBI. So Halderman told President Nixon on June twenty third, nineteen seventy two. That Felt would, quote, want to cooperate because he's ambitious. So they're like, let's ask Felt uh, to slow this down because he wants to be the head of the FBI and he, he helps us. Maybe oh, we can please. Promise Felt him doesn't want to work for you. Bitch. Haldeman later initially suspected lower level FBI agents of speaking to the Post. So now they're all trying to figure out who is I love this. that. But in a taped conversation on October 19th, 1972, Haldeman told the president that sources had said that Felt was speaking to the press. Ooh. And he said on the tape, quote, you can't say anything about this because because it will screw up our source and there's a real concern. Mitchell, who is somebody worth the FBI, is the only one who knows about this and he feels strongly that that we better not do anything because if we move on him, he'll go out and unload everything. Yes. He knows everything that's to be known in the FBI. He has access to absolutely everything. End quote. Wow. <laughs> so they know Felt is the one yes. doing it, but they're like, they're he's scared. dangerous. They're yeah. scared. He's dangerous with information. Haldeman also said that he had spoken to White House counsel John W. Dean about punishing Felt, but Dean said Felt had committed no crime and could not be prosecuted. When acting FBI Director Gray returned from his sick leave in January 1973, by the way, he misses this entire fucking thing. I love love that. Like, I'm the head of the FBI... Wait, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. I was just gone. I was gone for a little while. I Holy mean, the shit. The investigation was still going on, but like, what the fuck? So he, when he comes back, he confronts Felt about being the source <gasps> for Woodward and Bernstein. And Gray said that he had defended, that said he defended Felt to Attorney General Richard Clandestine. Um, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry. He said, quote, you know, Mark, Dick Clandestine told me I ought to get rid of you. He says White House staff members are concerned that you are the FBI source of leaks to Woodward and Bernstein. And Felt replied, quote, Pat, I haven't leaked anything to anybody. (laughs) To the end, bitch, to the end. So Gray told Felt then in return, I told Clandestine that you've worked with me in a very competent manner and I'm convinced that you are completely loyal. I told him I was not going to move you out. Like, (gasps) Poor Gray, just no clue. No clue. P.S. We cannot forget we cannot forget that Felt is a a employee of Hoover yes. who thinks that yes. if, with without fail you go after everything yes. and you don't ask questions, you don't apologize, you go after people. Yes. The end, the which end. is what it, which ends up taking Felt down anyway. Is that kind of mentality of yeah. like we're defending the United States against everything? It I love. I don't need I laws. Love I break laws to like, do this. Not wasn't me. Yep. Yeah, Oh, honey. Wasn't me. Stone face. Yes. Stone face. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. By the way, kids lie like that. So be careful, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> kids are like, not me. Oh, like, oh, please. <laughs> my favorite Judge Judy line is, how do you know a teenager is lying? Their mouths are moving. <laughs> 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 okay. Then on February 17th, 1973. So we're still in the middle of the, invest- yeah. end of the investigation. Nixon nominated Gray as Hoover's permanent replacement as a director. Because remember, he was just the acting director. So until then, Gray had just been, you know, in limbo there. And in another taped conversation on February 28th, Nixon spoke to Dean, the lawyer, White House lawyer, about Feltz acting as an informant and mentioned that he had never met him. Now, you know, those, he knows those tapes Come are rolling, honey. on. He knows that he's on the yes. stage. Right? So Gray was forced to resign. Oh, poor Gray. Gray's <laughs> like, I, I didn't even get to do anything. I, My... <laughs> 
<laughs> so in April to, on April 27th, after it was, he was forced to resign after it was revealed that he had destroyed a file that had been in the white house safe of, um, of E Edward hunt or Howard hunt. So he's, you know, he's working for Nixon. He's yeah. really not like Hoover where he's out for yeah. the best interest of no, no, the no, FBI. No. Well, that's why Nixon put him there. Yeah. So Gray then recommended Felt as his successor. Oh, That's Gray. how much he was fallen. Oh, Gray. <laughs> Poor little guy. Felt his deep throat. He's oh, fucking- my God. <laughs> Poor Gray doesn't have a clue. No idea. Doesn't no have a clue. Idea. This is why you really need someone, especially to head the FBI, to, yeah. to know what they're doing. But, and it shouldn't be. Of course. You know. <laughs> so, of course, the day that Gray resigns, the guy who was the attorney general, that clandestine or clandestine, he spoke to Nixon and he also urged him to appoint Felt as the head of the FBI oh because they feel God. like if he's the head of the FBI, he's maybe not going to betray talking. us. Oh, please. Maybe he'll stop talking then. Right. Yeah. But I think that's the thing here is that, yes, the FBI is the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation yes. and it is tied to Washington and government. Yes. But it doesn't mean that they should just be beholden to the white house no 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 you know no. like they're, they, they're not be. supposed to be no, and the CIA, so, cia either yeah so you know that they're they are so sorely mistaken oh, yeah, but totally. but this is all the garbage of corruption because they think yeah that they can manipulate people exactly and get loyalty from people meanwhile from, what? from that guy this is the last person who's gonna yes get loyalty, who's gonna i love it so um so nixon instead appointed william ruckelshaus as acting director so stanley cutler reported that nixon said Quote, I don't want him talking about felt. I can't have him. I just talked to Bill Ruckelshaus and Bill is a Mr. Clean. And I want a fellow in there that is not part of the old guard. And that's not part of, of that in fighting in there. A Mr. Clean coming from Nixon. Yeah. You want someone that doesn't have any dirt on his record. Like probably also somebody he can say, Hey bro, help me out. Yeah. Yeah. On another White House tape from May 11th, 1973, Nixon said Nixon and White House Chief of Staff Alexander Haig spoke of felt leaking material to the New York Times. Nixon said, quote, he's a bad guy, you see, end quote. Oh, my God. <laughs> he said that bad for Sullivan, you, maybe. Yeah, he so, he said that William Sullivan had told him of felt ambition to be the, the director of the bureau. But of course, that was never going to happen, you know? Yeah. So Felt called his relationship with Ruckelshaus Stormy, who's the new director. And in his memoir, Felt describes Ruckelshaus as a, quote, security guard sent to the FBI that did nothing, which would displease Mr. Nixon. Wow. In mid-1970. That's pretty insulting. Of course. Of course. A security guard. But he has no respect for this person. Wow. Yeah. Because he's probably like, look at this guy who rolled in. Like, I have given my life to the Bureau. He should have left. Felt should, when Nick, when Hoover died, Felt should have left. There's never going to be another person in that office that's going to, you're going to have such high regard for. Right. There's no one who's going to hold up that office like, like you want them to. Well, but maybe he really wanted to try to get that position. Maybe. I think, I think that that's I mean, he gave his life to this organization. I know. I mean, moving all those yeah. years, his family. Okay, okay, so in mid-1973, the New York Times published a series of articles about wiretaps that had been ordered by Hoover during his tenure at the FBI. Ruckelhaus believed that the information must have come from someone at the FBI. In June 1973, Ruckelhaus received a call from someone claiming to be a New York Times reporter telling him that Felt was the source <gasps> of the information. Well, who's written it? Why would the Times rat? He's Either he's lying or, or, the, or the Times is like, I want these... <laughs> 
I yeah, want some dirt. Exclusive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on June 21st, Ruckelshaus met privately with Felt and accused him of leaking information to the New York Times, a charge that Felt adamantly denied. Good. Ruckelshaus, which you know is probably not true. Oh, Ruckelshaus told Felt to sleep on it and let him know the next day what he wanted to do. Felt resigned from the bureau the <gasps> next day, June 22nd, 1973, ending his 31-year career. Wow. In June, in, I mean, excuse me, in a 2013 interview, Ruckelshaus noted that the possibility that originally the original caller was a hoax. Um, he said that he considered Felt's resignation, quote, an admission of guilt anyway. Um, Ruckelshaus, who had served only as acting director, was replaced several weeks later by Clarence M. Kelly, who had been nominated by Nixon as FBI director and confirmed by the Senate. Okay, so how does Felt go down? Because yes. he's going to go down, right? Yes. But it's not about what you think it's going to be about, right? So in the early 1970s, Felt had supervised Operation Koi Intel Pro, initiated by Hoover in the 1950s. Dang. This period of FBI history was gener has generated great controversy for its abuses of a private <gasps> citizen's rights. Okay, Ooh, so the FBI so was surveillance spying on yeah. il infiltrating and disrupting the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, <gasps> Black Panthers, and, <gasps> all, and other new left groups, which was a huge deal. Wow, yeah, because they were all anti-American, according to Hoover. Yeah, please. So by 1972, and this is how Felt was. Felt yeah. was the same way. So by 1972, Felt was heading the investigation into the Weather Underground, which had planted bombs at the Capitol, the Pentagon, and the State Department building. Felt, along with Edward S. Miller, ordered FBI agents to break into homes secretly in 1972 and in 1973 without a search warrant on <gasps> nine separate occasions. No. These kinds of FBI operations were known as, quote, black bag jobs. Wow. The break-ins occurred at five addresses in New York and New Jersey at the homes of relatives and acquaintances of Weather Underground <gasps> members. You imagine? No. Yes. They did no. not contribute. And imagine, like, I mean, they get in and out the FBI. You don't know they're there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they did not contribute. So these break-ins did not contribute to the capture of any fugitives. The use of black bag, black bag jobs by the FBI was declared unconstitutional of by course. the United States Supreme Court in the Plan, Plan Mondin case um, in 1972. So the Church Committee of Congress... Re, uh, revealed the FBI's illegal activities and many agents were investigated. Yeah. How did they, how did it come out? Like, how did they realize that those homes were looked at? Because I believe if I've, now this might be wrong and I'm going to talk out my ass here, but I believe that because of the weather underground was accusing the FBI of this. Okay. Saying like, they're coming after us. This is illegal. They're not allowed to do this. This is okay. against the law. And I think they were just so loud about it that Congress was like, what's the fuck's going on? You know? So in 1976, Felt publicly stated he had ordered break-ins and recommended um, and recommended against punishment punishment of individual agents who had carried out these orders. You've got to remember, this guy thinks he was doing the right, right. thing. So Felt also stated that Patrick Gray our friend Gray yeah. had also authorized the break-ins, but Gray denied this. Gray wasn't even around. I know. So. I mean, was he even a director? This, yeah. No, you know you were running that shit. You know you were doing it. Felt said on the CBS television program, Face the Nation, he would probably be a scapegoat for the Bureau's work. I, he said, quote, I think this is, a this is justified and I'd do it again tomorrow. End quote. I mean, I can see where he's saying, hey, the agents who went in and did that, if it was an order from me, uh, for, as director yeah. and they don't know that the you know they might just think oh this is what i'm you know that it's all cleared and that it's allowed i yeah. get that mm -hmm. but he has to take the responsibility that yes you put I, an order out that I wasn't agree. you know cleared or didn't go through the proper channels and didn't get the proper authority to do so yeah so while admitting the break-ins were 
extra legal, end quote, he justified them as protecting the greater good. Mm, Belt said, no. quote, to not take action against these people and know of a bombing in advance, you would, would simply be to stick your fingers in your ears and protect your eardrums when the explosion went off and then start the investigation, end quote. Yeah, but you can't base things on an assumption because then who, then you can think that I'm doing something and like someone down the street is doing something. Like, where mm -hmm. does it end? I don't know. And I also think that we have to remember that these FBI agents are human and yeah. fear and of being afraid of like what like I could have stopped what I could. I mean, think about 9-11. Yeah. No, and I all the information the CIA had, the FBI yeah. had about that. Yeah. You know, and that still went down. I mean, yeah. Griffin Bell, the attorney general and Jimmy Carter, like, would you think it would be okay to go bust into those houses if it would have stopped 9-11? I mean. That's hard. It's a hard it's, thing. It's to think a about. hard thing. But at the end of the day, where is the line drawn? Right. Because what if it was my, oh, you're, in, oh, Hillary, you're involved in yes. 9-11. And I'm like, what? You can't come in my fucking house, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah where's the line drawn? And then how are they choosing people? Right. And then does that lead to more profiling? I, Is it I racist? Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, it's, it's so, it's so convoluted. I know. So Griffin Bell, the attorney general in the Jimmy Carter administration, because now there's a new president, he directed the investigation uh, of these cases. On April 10th, 1978, a federal grand jury charged Felt, Miller, and Gray with conspiracy to violate the constitutional rights of American citizens by searching their homes without warrants. The indictment charged viol charged violations of the Title 18, Section 241 of the United States Code and um, just basically like either unlawfully, willfully, knowingly combined, conspire, confederate, uh, and agree together with each other to injure and oppress citizens of the United States who were relatives and acquaintances of the Weatherman f fugitives uh, in the free exercise and enjoyments of certain rights and privileges secured to them by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, end quote. Mm. Can you imagine that's a charge against you? Yes. And you were an FBI agent? Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Um, <sighs> this long-storied career. Yeah. Belt told his biographer, Ronald Kessler, quote, I was shocked that I was indicted. You would be too if you did what you thought was in the best interest of the country and someone in technical grounds indicted you, end quote. I mean, I see the point. And, and I want to clarify. Sorry, on, like, on technical grounds yeah. indicted you. I want to clarify that I, no one wants 9-11 to happen. Of like we're talking in, in hypotheticals. But and that's I, and how I, they justify those yeah, things, right? Like that's right. how they justify it. That's yeah. how he's justifying this. Like could you, first of all, there's always going to be madmen and of course. Or, or what, who who are doing things terrible things because they think right. that they're doing the right thing. Right, but if you do it in the proper way, and I'm talking way, about the people who do, and if the, you, the 9 yeah. 11 guys, like the, but the if hijackers. you do things in the proper way, and there were a lot of things that they could have looked into, yeah, further. You know, there's yes. all of that stuff where they're like they had this, they had that. You know, so and those were decisions that were made. You know, you could even think about it. This think about the kid who that awful. The, the 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 Marjorie Stoneman Douglas like think about how that kid slipped through yeah and there was warnings and there was people warnings saying, and hey, warnings hey, and hey, warnings hey, hey. and warnings and it just you know there are always going to be these awful fucking tragedies yeah. and we can do what we can yeah what we shouldn't be doing is kicking the fucking can down the road about mental health and yeah. gun control gun control right. and other you know? things that can <laughs> protect yeah like yeah. let's not do that but to step on the rights that we have, is, like to allow rights to be yes, taken away from us because not, of what ifs. Yeah, we can't do it. Right. We can't do it. Right. And the fact of the matter is 9-11 did happen, yeah. right? And so to look back and say, oh, well, we could have. Well, that's I mean, all we, I mean, please. I know. You can't play that game. You can't play you the can't. what if. <laughs> the you what can't. if game. It's awful. It's all yeah. bad. It's all bad. But them justifying it is just, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. I mean, okay. So. 
Felt, Gray, and Miller were arraigned in Washington, D.C. on April 20th. 700 current and former FBI agents were outside the courthouse applauding the Washington Three, as Felt referred to them, to himself and colleagues in his memoir. Could you imagine? So they're all out there, like, supporting them. So Gray's case did not go to trial and was dropped by the government for lack of evidence on December 11th, 1980, because, you know, this motherfucker was never at work. (laughs) (laughs) Felt and Miller. Poor guy. I mean, (laughs) he's like, I haven't been there. He misses everything. And now he's accused. So he's probably like, I I don't even know what's going on. (laughs) That was basically his testimony. He's like, I have no idea. Felton Miller attempted to plea plea bargain with the government, willing to agree to a misdemeanor guilty plea to conducting searches without warrants. And uh, the government rejected this offer in 1979. Mm. After eight postponements, the case against Felt and Miller went to trial in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia on September 18th, 1980. On October 29th, former President Richard M. Nixon appeared as a rebuttal witness for the defense. Oh, dang. (laughs) He testified that in authorizing the Bureau to conduct break-ins to gather foreign intelligence information, quote, he was acting on president's um, established by a number of presidential directives dating to 1939, oh. end quote. So, you know, he's saying, like, this is something that we always yeah. did, all presidents, so calm down, motherfuckers. <laughs> it was Nixon's first courtroom appearance since his, res- since his re- resignation in 1974. Nixon also contributed money to Felt's defense fund since Felt's what? legal expenses Why? were running over $600,000 by then. Why? Like, now they're, this is now incredible they're what happens between these two. Now they're yeah. buddies? Yeah. No. It's crazy. Because yes. he's like, Oh, dang. I didn't realize what it was like to be accused. Yeah. <laughs> Can we meet for coffee? I need someone to talk. Like you've had this experience and yeah. now they're, now they're, now they're BFFs. So wow. also testifying were attorneys, General Mitchell, clandestine, Herbert Brownell Jr., Nicholas. These are all people who worked for yeah. the, all of whom said warrantless searches in national security matters were commonplace and understood not to be illegal. Mitchell and clandestine denied they had authorized any of the break-ins at, at issue in the trial. Um, and then the jury returned guilty verdicts on November 6th, yeah, 1980, two days after the presidential election of Reagan. The charge carried a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison and $10,000 fine. On December 15th, Judge William Bryant fined Felt $5,000 and Miller $3,500, but imposed no jail time for either of one of them. Of course not. Go ahead. So I'm wondering... You know, uh, six hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars—that's a lot of money. I mean, what what happens to Gray after? What what is his? Is he retired? Does he? Oh, great! But see, remember, Gray, not great. Felt, yeah. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah. yeah what happened to Felt? So both after? of them Sorry. also. Both of them also appealed their verdicts. Could you imagine? You have you to pay five grand. You got yeah. five grand, that's and it. Not... just go the fuck go away. away. No, honey, you, you got. Oh, I so they appeal it because he doesn't want the guilty verdict. Of course not. Of course God, not. What a jerk. Take so it. Then, Be thankful. No, not this white man. Not this white man, which is what it is. Yeah. We, I'd just be like, okay, thank yeah. you. Oh, Bye. my God. No I, would run, I would be See running yeah. out the, the door. Bye. The back of the courtroom. Get Bye. the fuck out. Yes. <laughs> You wouldn't even see me. They'd be like, no jail time. Bye. Like, yeah, it'd, it'd be, be like, like the a Tasmanian pup, yeah, pup, <laughs> just like a roadrunner. <laughs> you wouldn't even see my feet moving. It would just be like, oh, my out. God. So in a phone call. Okay, so now we go to this other <laughs> to this other thing which you're gonna fucking love. Oh so, my god. Um in a phone call on January thirtieth, nineteen eighty one, Edwin Meese encouraged President Ronald Reagan to issue a pardon. Oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
I Come love it. On. So after further encouragement from Felt's former colleagues, President Ronald Reagan pardoned Felt and Give Miller. Give me a break. Yep. The so pardon, now it's all washed away. Yeah. The pardon was signed on March 26th, but due to the assassination attempt on March 30th, mm. was not announced to the public until April 15th, 1981. Um, Ronald Reagan wrote this, quote, during their long careers... Mark Felton, try not to get too upset here. Mark Felton, Edward Miller served the Federal Bureau of Investigation and our nation with great distinction. Oh. To punish them further after three years of criminal prosecution proceedings what? would not serve the ends of justice. Their convictions in the U.S. District Court on, on appeal at the time, I signed their pardons, grew out of the good their good faith belief that their actions were necessary to preserve the security interests of our country. Come on. The record demonstrates... Please don't interrupt me, Tina. This is Ronald Reagan, the Gipper. Oh, God. The record demonstrates that they acted not with criminal intent, but in the belief that they had grants of authority reaching to the highest levels of oh, the government. come on. They, they, they didn't get any jail time. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, pardoned. Oh, my God. Well, and by the way, do you know Trump? He pardoned Kodak Black. Yeah. So... Okay, so Nixon sent Felt and Miller bottles of champagne with a note, quote, justice ultimately prevails. Oh, my God. Which, I gotta write that down. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> he did. Champagne, honey. Pop the cork. Celebration time. Good job, guys. Way to violate the constitutional rights of private citizens yes. in the United States. Yeah, hey, doesn't hey, matter. Justice prevails, motherfucker. Doesn't matter. The doesn't New York matter. Times disapproved in an editorial saying that the United States, quote, deserved better than a gratuitous revision of the record by the president, end quote. I mean, it, it's true. Yeah. Felton Miller said they would seek repayment of their legal fees <gasps> from the government. <laughs> no! The fucking No! I love it. No! Yes. No! Yes. So uh, Felt said, quote, I feel very excited and just so pleased that I can hardly contain myself. Oh my I am God. most grateful to the president. I don't, oh. know how, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to thank him. It's just like having a heavy burden lifted off your back. This case has been dragging on for five I years. I mean, his nickname quote. is Deep Throat. And then at a press Maybe that's how he could have thanked Reagan. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Because. This guy was <laughs> leaking information. From the FBI. And I they're mean, still heralding him as I a know. fucking hero. And I can't believe Nixon. Of yeah, all people. I know. Like what? Why? <laughs> why? And why is he giving him money? It doesn't make any sense. Like he. I mean he he said he's a bad guy or well, whatever the you quote have to, was. Because you know why Tina? You have to remember. Nobody at this point knows that Mark Felt is deep throat. <gasps> Remember? Oh, Nobody knows. So Nixon so, doesn't know. Well, Nixon, Nixon kind of knows. It, but the public doesn't know. I know, but Nixon, if he kind of knows, yeah, but why he's would he's got to play that? I think he's got to play that fucking game. You think? Yes, because so you think he's, he's got to like, act okay, like we're going to be where it's it's bros well, before and hoes, also, and I'm yes. going to be your busty and bros before the country. <laughs> that's for goddamn sure. Bros before the country. Oh, that's, oh, that's another title. My God. But also, but also. They don't know for sure. He denied, denied, denied. Yes. They don't know if he's the fucking oh, deep throat. Nixon is going to be like, I sent this guy champagne. Yeah. And he screwed me over. Yeah. Oh, I would love but to the, see also the other his part is, face when that news was, was revealed. Think, think about 
the long game that Mark Felt is playing. He's on trial. Oh my God. For fucking doing this. And Bob Woodward and, and Bernstein are over there going, this motherfucker, <laughs> he thinks he's a hero. Yes. He's a fucking traitor. Well, well I mean. Not a okay, traitor. Yeah. So how do we think about that? What do you think about Mark Felt giving that? Do you think no, that I he's think, like, he, I think he, he should have. He should have. Yeah, he should have. I mean, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. He should have. Yeah. But I, right. love but, but I love that he's, I love that he's, I've been wronged. I've been wronged. I've Meanwhile, been wronged, but he's taking money from Nixon, knowing that he screwed Nixon over. Well, I mean, that's I, kind of messed up too. Like Nixon's like, I'm going to help you out. I, is there a moral and, and, compass and, and felt is like, oh yeah, sure. Like yeah. he but was probably like, so sorry about what happened to you. <laughs> Meanwhile, do you, moral, however, do you think that felt has a moral compass that has anything to do with what's right for the country? Or is it just like, ooh, it's just what's scary is that he's a human. He's trying to make the decisions what he thinks is best for the country. He disregards laws. He yeah. disregards who's the president. This he is leaks something information. Else. This is something else. I mean, he's a real piece of work, this fucking yeah. guy. Yeah. Oh, I so, wish I could see Nixon's face. I know. When when he learned, because he was, he was probably like, what <laughs> in the <laughs> hell? <laughs> so, despite, everybody's out to get me. I told yes. you, everybody's out to get me. So oh. paranoid. Such a paranoid motherfucker. Despite their pardons, Felt and Miller won permission from the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit to appeal their conviction so as to remove it from their record and to prevent it from being used in civil suits by victims of the break-ins they had ordered. So that's another reason to appeal, right? Ultimately, the court restored Felt's law license in 1982 oh, based on. on Reagan's pardon. In June 1982, Felt and Miller testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee Security and Terrorism Subcommittee. They said that the restrictions placed on the FBI by, by Attorney General H. Edward H. Levy were threatening to the country's safety. Could you imagine? <sighs> You should not put restrictions no. on us. We should be able to do whatever the yeah, fuck we want. No, sorry. Although we were just no. convicted of violating the Constitution yeah. for doing just that. But I mean, please. the hypocrisy. It's insane. And they don't okay. see it, though. He doesn't see it, though. No. So Felt published a memoir called The FBI Pyramid. I know this is long. I'm so sorry, but it's just it's, everything was so good. Um, he published a memoir, The FBI Pyramid, from, from the Inside in 1979. It was co-written by Hoover biographer Ralph D. Toledano. Toledano said, quote, he felt swore to me that he was not deep throat <gasps> and that he had never leaked information to the no! Woodward Bernstein team or anyone else. No. And the book was published, but it <gasps> bombed because people were waiting to see. Yeah, like, they what want was he the dirt. Say? They want the dirt. Yeah. In his memoir, Felt strongly defended Hoover and his tenure as the director. Um, he condemned the criticisms of the Bureau made in the 1970s by the Church Committee and civil libertarians. He also denounced the treatment of Bureau agents as criminals and said the Freedom of Information Act and Privacy Act of 1974 served only to interfere with the government <gasps> work and helped criminals. No. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Honey. Come on. <laughs> he opens the book with this sentence, quote, the Bill of Rights is not a suicide pact, end quote, which was, wow. just, which was Justice Robert H. Jackson's comment in his dissent to Terminello versus the city of Chicago, which I didn't even get wow. to look into. But wow. the Library Journal wrote in its review of the memoir, it said, quote, at one time felt was assumed to be Watergate's deep throat. In this interesting but hardly sensational memoir, he makes it clear that 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 honor, if honor it be, lies elsewhere, end quote. Hmm. How does he, so, I, did you see anything then, about how he spoke of Nixon in that memoir? No, I didn't. Because that would be curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he was, you know, supportive yeah, of probably, him. Probably, right? That would be. That's the, that's the outward appearance. Yeah, yeah. So God, finally, he's like trying to take it to the grave, man. Honey, like that he basically does because finally 
it's revealed, right? Um, that he's deep throat, but it wasn't until 2005. Dang. I know, which is incredible. Dang. So Vanity Fair magazine revealed that Felt was deep throat on May 31st, 2005, Ooh. when it published an article um, on its website by John D. O'Connor, an attorney acting on behalf of Felt's family. Oh. Yes. So Felt said, quote, I'm the guy they used to call deep throat. End quote. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So after the Vanity Fair story broke, Benjamin C. Bradley, the editor of the Washington Post during Watergate, confirmed that Felt was deep throat. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So according to the Vanity Fair article, Felt was persuaded to come out by his family. They hoped to capitalize on the book deals and other lucrative opportunities, which Felt would be offered in order to pay for his grandchildren's education. Oh, my God. (laughs) So they're like, no, they're like, okay, he's on his way out. How can we milk this for yes. all we can. That's yes. kind of disgusting. It's gross. It's I mean, gross. they're exploiting their, I mean, they're exploiting felt. Yes. The family. Well, his family was unaware that he was deep throat for many years. Although felt was suffering from dementia <gasps> and had previously denied he was deep throat. Both Woodward and Bernstein confirmed the attorney's claim. Oh my God. So, okay. So, so he has dementia. Yeah. Well, we, and th- that's terrible. Felt's family realized the truth after his retirement when they became aware of his close friendship with Bob, Bob Woodward. Nixon's chief counsel, uh, Charles Colson, who served prison time for his actions in the Nixon White Whoa. House and felt had violated, said felt had, quote, violated, quote, his oath to keep the, this nation's secrets, end quote. Oh, no. Could you, yeah, wait. Because he came out and said no. that he was deep throat. After the no, revelation, sorry, publishers, dude. I know. After the revelation, publishers were interested in signing Felt to a book deal. Weeks later, Public Affairs Books announced that it signed a deal with Felt. Its CEO was a Washington Post reporter and editor during the Watergate era. The new book was to include material from Felt's 1979 memoir, plus an update. Mm. Uh, the new volume was scheduled for, for publication in early 2006. Felt sold the movie rights to his story Dang. to Universal Pictures for development by Tom Hanks's production company, Playtone. The book and movie deals were valued at $1 million. Wow. Should have gotten more. I think he totally could have gotten more than that. Probably. Yeah. A film based on those rights uh, called Mark Felt, The Man Who Brought Down the White House, in which Felt is portrayed by Liam Neeson, mm. was released in 2017. I've never seen that. Yeah, I've never even heard in of it. In mid-2005, Woodward published an account of his contacts with Felt called The Secret Man, The Story of Watergate's Deep Throat. Woodward's like, I got to cash in on this yeah. too. Felt died at home in his sleep on December 18th, 2008, and he, he was 95 years old. Wow. Yeah. That's the story of Deep Throat. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think it's, I I mean, I find it interesting that what brought him down wasn't even that he was giving away these secrets. Yeah. It was something totally off. You but know? it's kind of all sort of connected, I guess, yeah. in, in the type of guy that he is. Yeah. It's really interesting. It is. It's incredible. It's incredible. So I know it's long, but. It was good. Anyway, yes. Dang. You might hear like some little voices in the background of uh, the recording today because the kids have been walking in and out of the room a lot. So sorry about that, <laughs> Tina. It is fine. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we'll see enough. you guys next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. 
To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for the Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.